Hello and welcome to Jaw Law. I'm your host, Joe McGregor, reporting in from the cold and a little wet Dallas, Texas. I was thinking to myself the other day that I always say you're host Joe McGregor, but I'm not actually a host. It's just me talking. But that is about to change. What many of the listeners may not realize is that I am one of several attorneys here at our law firm who all focus or are experienced in dental law. And our next several episodes are going to feature some of these attorneys where I will play host. I'll be asking them questions because they are the experts. I look forward to getting those episodes out there. Today, though, we are going to talk about the infamous handshake deal. Now, why is this something I want to talk about? As you could imagine, most of the times we're talking about a handshake deal. It's because somebody is calling us saying, hey, this is what happened. I didn't have an agreement. But I'm not going to dwell on that because I think most people know that not having an agreement is a risk. Instead, what we're going to talk about are maybe the times when you may be tempted, despite knowing that there are risks, when is a handshake deal appropriate or is it never appropriate? Well, we're going to find out. The first thing that you need to understand is that as an attorney, I am always going to tell people that it is better safe than sorry. It's better to have an agreement than to not have a written agreement. Now, part of this is because you're memorializing your agreement and there are so many problems that go away by having a written contract. But arguably more important is the process of reducing an agreement to writing makes you think about additional attributes of that contract. It asks questions that you need to answer that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise thought about. But let's set that aside. We know that the lawyer is going to say you should have a contract. Let's dig in. I think that the first layer of this conversation is to be aware that the law requires that certain contracts be in writing. So just to be clear, there are such things as oral contracts. We've covered that before. But the law says sometimes contracts are so important that we require that they be in writing or they don't exist. They're not going to be enforceable. This is a little bit tricky to talk about because different states have different rules in this regard. But generally speaking, I think pretty uniformly, Most states require that in order to sell real estate, it has to be in writing. Traditionally, contracts that extend for more than a year of time. So if you have an employment contract that is for two years, that's supposed to be in writing. If you're promising to pay someone else's debt, that's typically required to be in writing. Most states have some type of sale of goods. So if you're buying something and it's over a certain amount, I think $500 is usually the amount, then that has to be pursuant to a contract. Anyway, the point is, is that there are contracts that in order to get involved, if you want it to be legally enforceable, it has to be in writing. Best thing you could do is if you have a question, you should ask a local attorney. The next consideration is that for many areas of the law, your state or local government or whatever already has rules that apply in the absence of an agreement. A really common example is partnerships. 
when you go into business with somebody and it can be construed as a partnership, then there are rules that apply. But in most instances, the law allows you to overwrite those rules. So maybe your state has default landlord-tenant rules for commercial landlords and tenants. But inside of that law, if you would like to, you can enter into a lease that overrides the default rules. The point here is that you may be subject to rules that you didn't even know existed. And so, if there is ever a dispute or some type of issue that comes up, you may have to play by a set of rules that you never knew about. Maybe you allowed a friend of yours to share some space at your office, maybe an operatory that you weren't using, and they're staying a little longer and they've worn out their welcome and you want to get rid of them. Is there a chance that they now fall under the eviction rules for a commercial landlord and tenant? Well, that's something that if you had a space sharing agreement or a lease like a sublease or something like that, that question would never come up. But setting aside those legal concerns, I think that there's still room for the potential verbal handshake agreement. I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, what's at stake? What risk do I have if this person doesn't honor our handshake agreement? If we're talking about something where it just doesn't matter, or maybe you'd be sad, a little disappointed, but you'd get over it fast, then that's something where it doesn't really matter, does it? I think another aspect you need to think about, besides what we talked about earlier, contracts that last for a certain amount of time, I think timing is another consideration. If you're letting someone borrow something for a very short amount of time, or somebody's going to work for you for a very short amount of time, things like that, well, it's probably not that big of a deal to have something in writing. A handshake may suffice. And then finally, I do think that cost is a consideration. So, if it's going to be a short-term deal, something that you don't really care about, and you go to the attorney and you're like, uh, how much would it cost to capture this agreement? And the attorney tells you something that pretty astronomical or whatever is just more expensive than it is worth to you. Well, I think it's worth a conversation with the attorney to say, well, if I don't have an agreement, what are the potential consequences? And if the attorney outlines the consequences and you're okay with those, and this is not something that the law requires you to have a contract for, and furthermore, you're not going to accidentally subjugate yourself to a set of laws that you didn't know about, then yes, maybe a handshake agreement is fine. All right. From a practical standpoint, though, where do we see problems the most? I would say most of the problems that we see relate to employment scenarios. A lot of times, and maybe most of the times, what happens is somebody owns a practice and they bring in a buddy. And there's a high level of trust. But at some point, there's a misunderstanding. But there's no agreement to document what that understanding should have been. And somewhere it comes to bite one or the other parties. This is a call that we get uh, pretty regularly. It also comes up in employment context outside of the buddy agreement. A lot of times people just start working for places and there's never a contract. That's actually dangerous for both sides, but we've seen it bite the practices in the butt, mainly because the practices are playing by some default rules at that point and they're not aware of it. I think the other area that we see this is in partnerships. We see partners 
become partners, but not pursuant to a partnership agreement. And so they are subject to that state's default partnership rules. The problem is that the most states' default partnership rules are not really structured towards efficient or effective dental practice management. And so there might be outcomes that make absolutely no sense to the dental practice, but those are the rules that apply to you. So just in summary, I would say I don't think that all handshake agreements are bad. There is a place for them. What matters most is that you understand when they are appropriate and when they are not appropriate. Thank you all for listening today. We'll see you next time.